even if you're in a bit of a season or a bit of a moment of that of that darkness or that storm, there's always opportunity. There's always something excitable. There's good that can come from such deep, deep feelings and deep sorrow and deep chaos. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Emily Abadi here coming to you live from the AG studio. You are listening to Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. Today for episode 199, I am chatting with Peloton instructor Kendall Tool, a conversation that has been a long time requested from you, the hurdlers. <laughs> I do want to make sure that I say this up front. We do talk about some sensitive topics within today's conversation, including self-harm, and depression as Kendall opens up about her struggles with both OCD and depression through her teenage years. So I just want to throw that into the mix up front and I will be linking some helpful resources in the show notes if today's conversation really resonates with you and you too find yourself struggling. We talk about the life-changing hurdle moment that Kendall experienced involving suicidal thoughts and her choice to move home from college and seek therapy. She also offers up a lot of really great advice for anyone who is navigating negative self-talk, as well as some helpful tips for any fellow, raise his hand in the air and gestures like, let's go, <laughs> single 30-something woman who may be having a hard time finding happiness on their own. Overall, this conversation, there is so much vulnerability. There's also so much joy and happiness. I'm grateful to Kendall for being so transparent. I know that this is the type of conversation that is going to help a lot of people. I want to, again, say a huge resounding thank you to all the hurdlers that came out last week in DC. I had the most fun with you and I am looking forward to doing it in both New York and Los Angeles soon. New York, I am opening up an extra 10 spots to this Saturday, March 26th, Hurdle Huddle at 10 a.m. If you want one, send me a DM, including a review, a screenshot of your review of the show in Apple Podcasts, and I will give you one limited to the first 10 people who take the time to review the show and want in on next weekend, but weren't able to snag a spot before they sold out. Again, 10 spots only. I'm so excited. I'm so in for this weekend. So get your reviews in ASAP. Also, Los Angeles, Saturday, April 2nd. It's going to be, let's call it for 10 a.m. And I don't have a location yet, but hold Saturday, April 2nd, 10 a.m. I'm amped and I can't wait to bring the Hurdle love over to the West Coast. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And last little bit of housekeeping, subscribe to the weekly Hurdle. It is the Hurdle newsletter that comes out every single Friday morning with a lot of the same motivation and inspiration that you love from the show directly in your inbox before the sun comes up. I would love to keep in contact with you over there. With that, Today, I am sitting down with Kendall Tool. She is a beloved Peloton instructor. How are you doing today, Kenny? I'm great. Oh, I love that you just called me Kenny. Immediately, yes. Immediately, yes. We're on this level. We are. We really are. I love that. That is, it's funny. <laughs> People who I meet, sometimes they just, it slips out or even early on in like my getting to know them. And I'm like, oh, you get me. You get me. I love that. I am well. How are you, Emily? 
I'm so good. You know, it's funny because I am sure that when you meet people who follow along with you, they take your classes, they say stuff like that because they are under this impression that they know the ins and outs of you. And so when I meet people as well, people are always like, Em, like I was on the street in DC last month or the month before and someone yelled my name across the street that I had never met before. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And then it's also like, you feel really bad. I have this dreadful like anxiety that comes up when that happens. Cause I'm like, oh, did I go to middle school with you? Like, did I go to college with you? Or it's like, are you related to me somehow? And I just haven't, you know, so I, I always have that like first perpetual fear. And then the conversation starts going. I'm like, oh no, they ride with me. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. We're good. We're good. <laughs> We're good. We're good. Well, people that ride with you, and there are many of them, know something that you say often, which is that they can knock you down, but never let them knock you out. Knowing that, I want to start this off by asking you, when was the last time you actually felt borderline knocked out? Oh, God. I'll be honest. I was going through a rough patch recently. Like this, this stuff kind of happens. I think the concept of being knocked out isn't that everything in life collapses, but something takes enough precedence that it really shifts your perspective. It makes you feel like you're on the ground. So candidly, I went through a breakup not too long ago. It's been very interesting to go through a breakup more publicly because I was very open about my relationship uh, and was very proud of it. And there were wonderful things with it. But going through that process of having to continue to show up in the world the way that I do with my job with these great responsibilities and to stay this positive light, knowing that I was processing loss and transition and, and all of the moments of a breakup, that was probably the most recent one. That was back in November, November, December. And so it took a bit of a shift. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And I love the way that you framed that just now saying great opportunities and great obligations. That so often is a hard way to look at what's going on in your life through that positive lens, as you so eloquently put it, because there is all of this pressure around you is this lingering sadness about what you're going through. But to be able to spin it like that, that takes practice, I would say. Oh, it does. Years of therapy, years of being on my own mental health journey and, you know, of having some really honest, pure conversations. I have great stakeholders and people in my life and friends. And frankly, like, they'll kick me in the ass and they'll be like, Kendall, I love you. I'm here to vent. I'm here for the space, but okay, now what are you going to do about it? And not to say that we don't feel our emotions. It's very important that we allow them and we meet them where they're at, but there ultimately becomes a choice in my opinion, where do we allow this to be our narrative or do we allow this to be a segment of the story, right? Am I going to make this an entire focus of who I am now? I'm going to let this experience shift my person or am I going to stay in alignment and understand, okay, this is just part of the process. This is part of the growth. And it is. I think oftentimes like we have obligations that we can look at it like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so stressed. That's me often. I'm like a chicken with my head cut off sometimes. I'm like, okay, wait, hold on, write the list. And then recognize, wow, I have this list of things that I'm asked to do, that I have the, the responsibility that the world is asking me to show up in. That years ago, I mean, when I was broke and living in like a basement in Laurel Canyon and trying to figure out how to make my car payment, you know, I would have dreamed of having these obligations. So it's so funny how, you know, we're always kind of looking for that next element, that next energy, but we forget how far we've come in the process. Well, speaking about how far you've come and before you were questionably broke living in the basement in Laurel Canyon, <laughs> yeah. you were originally from Texas. Is that right? I was born in Houston and lived there for about, I mean, I don't remember much. I'll be honest. I like to pull out the y'all though. So I think that's my one connection back to the South. Kendall, I like to pull out the y'all and I was born in Connecticut. So. Okay. It is a gender neutral, like perfect term to address a large group of people in like an effervescent way. You know, it's kind of like Alexis Rose of, of pronouns, you know, or like a group pronoun. I don't know. I'm probably going to mess it up, but but still, I think y'all is great. And so I was in Houston for about two years. And then we moved to Atlanta. So I, I had a little bit more Southern. And then we moved to California when I was about 10, 10, 11. And that's really what I consider home because I spent all of the developmental years, all the fun teen years, you know, all the highs and lows in California and was there until, you know, the job at Peloton came knocking and I moved to, uh, to New York City. 
okay, well, don't speed us up too fast here. You mentioned before the word therapy, and I know that you actually started working with a therapist from a very young age. So talk me through how that came to be within your life. Totally. So safe to say I was very much a high, strong, (laughs) intense, was often called bossy and chatty on the report cards type of a kid. And I think that's what drew me to gymnastics, ironically, was the perfectionism, the beauty, the the overcoming these barriers. And I loved it. I loved flipping. I loved doing things that it looked like little girls couldn't do or were supposed to do. So I was drawn into the sport, but I definitely found that that perpetuated and kind of ignited what was already existent within me, which was this obsessive compulsive disorder. So I was diagnosed with OCD. Oh goodness. I always am a butcher with time, but I want to say it was around eight or nine years old and incredibly obsessive thoughts and was a very anxious, high, strong, if not this, then that superstitious kid. And my parents acknowledged like, okay, Kenny's going through stuff. She has these rituals. I couldn't be barefoot. I had to wear socks all the time. I had like a bedtime ritual and, uh, they got me into therapy. And that was my first, that was my first foray into therapy. So for, in my life process, it's just been a part of my growth. It's been a part of certain seasons of my life. I'm like, oh, it's time, time to go back. As someone who's dealt with OCD, does it bother you when people make references kind of flippantly being like, oh, I have so much OCD? It does in the sense that I understand what it feels like to when someone says that they don't understand the gravity behind what OCD really is. And I'm still guilty of it. Like, oh, I'm being OCD today. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Let me, let me, let me change that narrative. Let me change that way I'm speaking. Because it is a very, it can be a very debilitating experience. It's, you know, trying to control your life, trying to control things around you. And, you know, we looked at different elements of our lives where we can do that was where kind of OCD came into play for me. And it was the precursor to what would then come down the line. But whenever I hear someone say, I'm just being OCD, I would love if that were removed from language or we could say, you know, I'm being hyper-focused or I'm being, you know, intense today. I think there's other words that express it in a far better, in a far better light. And I think it's having that conversation, right? Or saying something like, oh, I can totally sympathize with how you're feeling that way or why you're feeling that way. But maybe if we express it like this and coming from a place that's with understanding and compassion rather than an attacking place so that you can have an educational, progressive conversation about how to identify those feelings going forward. Completely. And I think that's what's kind of lost and where everybody feels afraid to say the wrong thing in today's world is that it's not, there's so often, oh, I just don't want to be wrong. Well, that's not the way we need to live our lives. We're not trying to be here to be right all the time. That's not being human. The whole point is to learn. But if you're going to learn something, you're going to mess up. Or you're going to say something that you're like, oh, I didn't understand the gravity of that until someone enlightened me on this topic. So I'm all for that. I'm all about going at a situation with empathy, understanding everybody has their own context. But if you don't speak up, you don't really have a right to be upset about it either, right? Like either you lean in and you say something or you can be offended, but then keep that to yourself. I'm very much over people pontificating about their about what's they, they're like, I'm so offended. I'm like, okay, but what are you doing about it? Like, come on. You said the phrase before, uh, foreshadowing what's to come. So what's to come after Kendall at 11 years old starts to speak to someone about her OCD tendencies? Yeah. So that was a great process and I'm grateful for the therapist that I had then. And what I didn't know was down the pipeline was that this, I thought I had handled, you know, okay, check mark handled the mental health thing that very much, don't we all in the beginning, we all do at the beginning. We're like, oh, I did it. Yay. I'm fixed. Uh, And then down the line, it gets to about, mm, it's hard to say when it really began, but it came to a very large breaking point inflection point, my senior year of college. So I had been so focused. I grew up as a kid actor and was doing that very consistently in my teen years. I graduated high school early so that I could focus on acting. I was going to USC. And then what I thought would be the career that I'd worked so hard for, right? Because in my mind, oh, if you work hard, you get the things you want. Not always the same way in certain industries and certain situations, right? And uh, that came to an inflection point my senior year of college. And 
I was in a very dark place, but I hid it from everybody. I mean, nobody in the world and none of my best friends. I had people from college when I shared my story more openly on my Instagram, reach out of the blue and say, I had no idea. I wish you would have told me. And that was a watershed moment. But I got to a point my senior year of college where I was suicidal and deeply, deeply, deeply depressed and anxious. And so that's where I was diagnosed after that experience with anxiety and depression and really doubled down into therapy and doubled down into treatment and what I needed to do to get myself on, on back on back on the road. When you started first experiencing suicidal thoughts, did mm-hmm. you have one person that you finally told helped you that helped pull you out of, let's call it this darkness or how did that unfold for you? So for me, it was, I kept operating off of this. If I put on the happy face, if I play the game, maybe something will get rid of the numbness. What was odd about the experience and what I really want to talk to people about being in this mental space is that it's a slow burn. It's a slow process. It wasn't just one day I'm super depressed and it was this dramatic feeling. It wasn't actually an overwhelm of emotions. It was the absence of emotions time and time again. So over the years, especially in college, I would, I was a college cheerleader. And so I'm little Miss Peppy and deep down there's something else going on, right? I'm in this great film program that I'm in love with and I'm passionate about storytelling and cinema, but that didn't do it. And so I was trying to plug these holes that were really, there was a gaping wound that I kept avoiding. It's like trying to put a Band-Aid on a deep flesh wound. It's like, no, 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 we need stitches and surgery. We don't need something to placate. So when I got to that point in my senior year of college, I had hit it from everybody. And one thing I look back on is the pain that I, you know, you can't regret your experience. I believe everything happens for a reason. I deeply believe this is part of my purpose. But I didn't share it with my family who I'm closest with. So it came to a moment just before I was close to completing the act. And um, I had this flash of what my family's life, I tell you, it's out of body experience. It's in a feeling of feeling so numb. It was a emotional clarity in a very turbulent moment. And I almost felt like I could see into the future for like what would occur, like what my parents' lives would be like had I gone through with it, how the circles around me would be affected. It was kind of like I hate to make light of this, but it's almost like in um, a Christmas carol. It's like the ghost of Christmas future type of thing. Like it's kind of ironic, but I had this vision and I all of a sudden just took this breath and it was like I had someone shake me and wake me up and it was like, oh my God, what the hell am I doing? And I look at my phone and crazily enough, my mom had been calling me 15 times. There were 15 missed calls. We hadn't talked since probably earlier in the day, like around noon. And so she had an instinct, something was deeply, deeply, deeply wrong, which that is incredible. And they say there's that mother's instinct. And I think that's very true. And I picked up the phone and I said, I need you to come pick me up. And that's where it all began. So I didn't leverage the connections that I had. And I have a wonderful connection to my family and my parents. I have a wonderful connection to my friends. But I think there was so much internalized shame that I felt because I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want people to have to worry about me. But the irony was I wasn't worried about myself because my, my self-help and my self-being wasn't number one. Thank you for sharing that. And it's so interesting hearing what your experience was like. I truly feel that it's so important for us to talk about this because the more that we talk about mental health and the more that we open up using certain buzzwords even, it can shed light on the struggles or the situation that someone else is going through and doesn't know how to label or articulate. The more that we have these open dialogues, the better that we can all be about not making it taboo to open up about our mental health. No one should be made to feel as though something is wrong with them because they are struggling or that something is wrong with them because they're questioning a feeling. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's it's the listening to oneself. And that's really where I talk about it so much because I understand it so much more now is that it truly is getting to know yourself. But getting to know yourself means accepting all of the 
pieces of us, accepting the fact that there are days when you wake up, you could have everything in the world. You, it could be a beautiful day and just you're a little off. There's just something, something shifted. You don't know what's going on. You don't have to know the why. You just have to acknowledge that it's okay to feel that way. But it is. And that's why we have to have these conversations and these stories because everyone experiences it differently. It's not this DSM, here's my symptoms. I know I'm depressed or suicidal when X, Y, and Z happen. It's not linear or kind of granular like that. It's not easily packageable. Mental health is this very amorphous concept that means different things to us at different times in our lives. But it is get checking the pulse, like checking where, like, and asking, how, how am I today? How am I feeling today? Am I emotionally here? Or if something really throws you off, I love like, Maybe you get cut off in traffic or maybe, you know, I know in my world, like social media, I could get a wonderful comment and then I could get this berating, nasty, awful DM. And sometimes I have to check in with myself and be like, oh, I've allowed that to hold energy and space after I received that comment. Let me check in and say, how am I feeling? And then I can acknowledge what I'm going to do about it. But you can't go mindlessly. Someone asked me this question the other day, and I feel like it's relevant here taking into consideration what you've been through on your mental health journey. When Mm. you first got the call from Peloton, were you in the space that you were more scared of failure or more scared of success because of what you just referenced, that exposure point or those millions of exposure points and given opinions? It's so funny. I used to think that failure is what scared me, but failure is very comfortable because you know what, you know, you know that failure means that you've, you're pretty much where you're at now in a sense, because you haven't taken on that next energy or that next responsibility or, you know, joyful obligation, if we want to call it that. Success is probably the scariest thing. And people don't talk about that. They don't talk about the fact that they're like, oh, just do it and get up and go. I'm not going to placate somebody, especially as a fitness instructor and someone who's in the space and a mental health advocate that, oh, you just change your mind and you go. It's very challenging because success means there's a different level of responsibility that you don't know how you're going to handle. Success means that your world is going to completely shift and change in the way that you relate to it and what you provide to it. And you're, it's a massive unknown. So for me, when I got the offer at Peloton, I was so immediately excited and the move was exciting. And I'll say like the fear of success really permeated when I was training up for my premier ride. I really struggled in that training process. I had so much of like this imposter syndrome, like how am I here? Why me? What is this? Let me try to be what I thought a Peloton instructor was supposed to be because I had this perception of like these like superhumans. And I felt like there was a dissonance there and I was younger and less experienced in certain ways and experienced in others. And it was funny. I remember I had a conversation with Cody like about two weeks before my premiere ride. And he just looked at me and he's like, oh, you got to get it together. Like you got this, but you are here for a reason. Like we chose you for you. We didn't choose you to be somebody else or something else. And that was a really awesome moment because I think it was the first time someone said, I want you to be here for you. And then I realized, oh, I need to be here for myself too. Like myself needs to be enough for me. That premiere ride, I don't know what happened. Something clicked in that room. I think maybe it was the buildup and the anxiety. And then it was like the exhale. But yeah, it's fear. It's fear of being exposed. It's fear of also being vulnerable. Success is very vulnerable. There's a lot of vulnerability that comes with that. And also a wisdom of the greater understanding that what success means day in and day out can change, right? So just because at one point you've accomplished the version of success that you thought was like the tippity top of the mountaintop, then the next day you wake up and you set new goals and you go after new challenges. And then that definition of success shifts again. And also what I think is so interesting in hearing you talk about your experience and, you know, wondering who is it that I should be any one of the instructors that I've had on the show literally had that same, you know, come to Jesus moment, if you will, where every single person was like, I was worried that I needed to be X and they were reassured, but we just want you to be you. Yes. And that's the, probably the most beautiful thing. And I'm so proud to be at Peloton because of that, because the ethos behind it is like, 
the sum is really greater than its individual parts, but damn the individual parts on this team. We're all very different. We all have different energies. We all have different experiences. But what makes it work is that we're ourselves. You know, we were all selected to fill a certain role that somehow with all these other incredible energies, it just adds more to the pot. It doesn't subtract. Like it's, and that's the funny part is that the goal isn't to be more than what you are. The goal is to just be more of who you are. And that's what I'm reminded of every day, especially when I, and I still do shoot. Like I, I have, I'm an ambitious person. I'm fiery. I want to do everything and live full, especially because I've experienced not wanting to live at all. But I know that both of those energies, I have to keep them in check because sometimes like you can get ahead of yourself. You can get a little, a little too forward thinking and not be grounded and not be like rooted in your purpose. And you just have to remember like, oh, I just want to become more of myself. I just want to reveal more of myself. I want to peel another layer back. I want to be more vulnerable with more people. I want to be more acknowledging of the fact that I'm shifting and changing and growing, especially as a woman. And that I'm going to have chapters and seasons of my life that are going to be incredibly challenging, but I don't want to hide that. I want to understand that my success is in, is in living as fully and as authentically and as, as much and full of myself, full of me as I can be. So I won't pretend that I don't know what happens next in your story, but I do think that it's critical for our conversation as we go forward. So once you do go back home with your mom, when she picks you up after this hurdle moment, talk to us about what happens for you and what the next few months look like. I will say there is a concept that I've understood and personally experienced where when you go through something very traumatic, your brain protects yourself and you forget. I can tell you definitively from that was right around just before Thanksgiving. It's right around midterms from that Thanksgiving to about beginning of February. I don't remember any of those months. I don't remember Christmas and I'm a, I love Christmas. Christmas is it. I'm Italian. We eat all the food. Don't remember Christmas. Don't remember new year's. I don't remember ringing in the new year that year. Uh, Yeah. 2015, New Year's 2015. I don't remember at all. And from it's piecemeal what I, what I was told. So I know my mom and dad mentioned that I was really struggling getting out of bed. The irony is that I was the OCD child who had to have clean feet, who had to wear socks. And I got to a point where I couldn't shower. So it showed you the range and the depth of where we were at. And I remember my dad coming into my room. This is what's funny. This is why I say this at the end of class and it means so much. He came into my room and I couldn't get out of bed and he, my mom was trying and, and he just leveled with me and he said, honey, I need you to do this. And I, I'm going to ask you to do it for me. I really want you to do it for yourself, but I know that's not possible right now. And he said, if, if you don't take these steps, you know, I think we need to put you in in inpatient, which is fine. I think that program would have been great, but I really didn't want to do that because I didn't want to miss the opportunity to graduate on time. I really wanted to graduate when I was supposed to, or when the kind of what I had worked so hard for, I didn't want school to fall behind. And he said, I know you want that. And he said, you, we've, I've said this since day one, they can knock us down, but we will never let it knock us out. You are not knocked out. Get up, get up. Ooh, I'm going to cry. So the beautiful thing about that is that was what stuck. I don't remember much. I remember that. And being able to have that be a motto that I've brought into fitness classes before I was at at Peloton, but even just into life, really changed the game. And so that was what got me back. That's what got me over that hurdle. I had that hurdle moment. But what kept me moving forward, inch by inch, it was a slow process, let me tell you. It was three days of therapy a week. It was having conversations and not wanting to talk at all. It was completely isolating myself from my friends. I didn't go back, really didn't go back to school. God bless the professors and the team at at USC where I went to college. My grades were so high. They were like, she's fine. Like, which go figure. I mean, I had straight freaking A's. Like I, you would have not, nobody would have known. And I just kind of dealt with this in kind of the solitude. And 
got back on track, moved into a new kind of living situation, which was going to be even better for me, more isolated. I had this lovely little studio that I called the Chateau because it reminded me of Chateau Marmont where I, I loved going to go and write my papers before they got snooty and wouldn't let people in. But <laughs> no shade to them, kind of shade actually. Because <laughs> No, actually, because I loved getting French fries and sitting with my laptop and writing papers and looking at like Patty Smith across the way. I was like, this is dope. So dope. Anyway, um, had my little, my little studio and made it through that, that second semester senior year. And the funny part is, and it's a good gut check for me is today, deck almost a decade later, um, is being able to know whenever I get really stressed out by something in life, I will have a stress dream that I am not going to graduate from college and that I can't make it to my last final, which is so interesting to show that was the motivator of not, I didn't want to fall behind, but what I didn't recognize was that this process was actually what was going to shoot me forward. It would take many chapters to get to that understanding, but I know that's why, that's why I get to say what I get to say and do what I get to do now. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, Whoop, a digital fitness and health coach that tracks key physiological metrics and provides detailed, actionable feedback to optimize your performance via a monthly membership. I have been wearing my Whoop. I actually looked at this today since April of 2019. So over two years now. And to put it simply, it makes me want to be a better me and focus on healthier habits. Among my favorite features is the Sleep Coach, which analyzes sleep duration, sleep quality, efficiency, and consistency every single night. Then the Whoop Strap provides ideal bed and wake times to help improve my sleep routine and performance the next day. Thanks to the Whoop journal feature, I also know what habits like eating too close to bedtime or slacking on my daily water intake can really impact my overall recovery score. And honestly, the gamification is fun and It keeps me honest. I am hooked on my Whoop data. That is an understatement, and I know you will be too. Get in on Whoop today with this exclusive offer for Hurdle listeners. Head on over to whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com. And use the code HURDLE15 to unlock 15% off any Whoop membership. Plus, get the Whoop 4.0 device for free. Again, that is whoop.com. Use HURDLE15 at checkout to get 15% off any membership today. Also got to give some love to my friends at AG1 from Athletic Greens. You know it. I love it. They're the token sponsor of the show with good reason. Drinking AG1 every single morning, it just makes me feel whole. Honestly, there was one day earlier last week where I forgot to shake it up. Like I was actually leaving my place for an early meeting. I was in a rush after my workout, showering, getting dressed. And I was sitting in my meeting about 30 minutes in and being like, why do I feel so foggy in this moment? And immediately like, I knew exactly why. I came home, the first thing I did was shake it up. And I, not only do I love that it has so much good stuff for me in the mix, literally. I'm talking adaptogens, prebiotics, probiotics, superfoods, the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. But I also love the way it tastes. Another new AG1 user reached out to me the other day and they said to me that, they get hints of pineapple, which tells you if you're wondering if this is a grassy thing, the answer is absolutely not. It is greens with a hint of sweetness and I crave it now, literally all the time. You too can get in on this deliciousness and snack some AG1 for yourself today. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle and get a bunch of freebies with your first purchase. I'm talking a year's supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase today. No code necessary. It's so interesting that conversation around your mind protecting you and blacking out certain memories, because I also certainly experienced that at a couple of different points in my life, specifically 
when I was the most unhappy in my body back in my freshman year of college. And I think about a lot of my memories in between ages 16 and 18, when I was coming into my own and dealing with bullying and just feeling really self-conscious and the dialogue that was happening up in my mind was just so toxic and negative. And I remember just little blips and pieces of literally years of my life. And then even, I mean, we were talking about you going through a tough time recently, myself as well, like at the, at the front end of this year, just navigating some personal stuff. There are conversations that friends reference that we had that I don't even remember. It's the most like concerning moment to be like, where, where were you? You know, like, and ask yourself, like, what was happening here? Where, where, like, what was happening in my mind? But being able to then sit down, reflect, gain an understanding, and instead of feeling angry about the things that we cannot control, focus on what you can do with what you have right now to move forward in a more positive and beneficial direction. Yes. And it is. And it's giving yourself the grace and the understanding, like that will happen. There will be, there will be time periods or there will be those shift points. They'll get to you. They will have that effect. Like I, I hear you. I'm same thing, you know, beginning of the year, I think collectively a global energy, we've all been going through so much, this languishing through a pandemic, but on top of it, you know, it's heavy out there. There's a lot of very heavy energy and we're all affected by it. We're all affected by each other much more than we recognize. And I think, you know, that's where that compassion and that kind of empathy comes in. But I'm with you. It is those little wins. It's those little things that you can do to ground yourself back. It's acknowledging the asshole in your head. I mean, I ha- I get it. I like, she's terrible. I would never be friends with that bee. She's awful. She's like the worst person. And it's funny when you kind of get down that spiral for a little bit and you, you allow yourself to ruminate in that negative headspace and you recognize you're like, hold on. Is that me or is that something else? And a really, a big turning point for me was understanding that I didn't have to believe everything that I thought. The thoughts that happen in my brain are not me. They're a byproduct of what's happening in my brain. And understanding that there's a difference between, and I, this is where spirituality comes in for me, but between like my soul and my deeper purpose and the why that I'm here and operating in this little vessel for the time I get to be in it and whatnot. There's a difference between that and my head, which is the humanity and the ego. And that's important to have that. It's self-protective. But oftentimes the ego and that negative voice is the loudest in the room, but it's not the truest. So it's learning to listen for that truer voice. It's learning to practice opening that space for it. So that's where, you know, therapy has been helpful and acknowledging and, and separating what's that negative headspace, that negative voice, and what's my real self. As well as, you know, the little things during the day, the more the rituals, the, okay, let me do some somatic breath work. Let me make sure I'm moving my body. Let me, you know, you're drinking a bunch of water. You're like, yes, I'm going to take care of it. You know, keeping everything in balance. That's important. It is important. And you mentioned rituals or small tools when for someone who may be struggling navigating that B of a voice that is inside of their head, do you have any practices or go-tos that you use personally to help you get through some of the really difficult echoey moments? Yes. I will say I ask first and foremost, is this fact? Like the second that I hear, and it could be, I could see something on my body. It could be like, that around that time of the month and, you know, everything, the way our hormones work, everything, you just feel disgusting and awful and terrible and blah. And I'm like, wait, is this fact? Where's the fact in the statement? And trying to pull out the emotion and acknowledge the logic or the lack thereof, because usually the bee in the head, she is just responsive and re- or she's reactive and she's just terrible and there's no fact there or it's a fear. It's always rooted back in fear and then it goes back to control. So once I acknowledge that's happening, I'm like, okay, what am I either afraid of doing and allowing fear to come in or what do I need to take control of in my life? What do I have control over? And control is a wonderful thing, but also allowance and acceptance is simultaneously, right? There's a lot we can't control. <laughs> it's almost frightening when you think about it sometimes, but it's also beautiful because somehow we operate and we evolve into the people we're meant to be if we, you know, kind of stay on the course. So 
first thing when that happens, I would say acknowledge what is fact, what is not. I write, I like to write it down, getting it out of my head and onto paper. Journaling's really been great for me lately. I have, I stepped away from it for a while, but recently I'm just like, let me just write it out. Let me just get it out of me, like word vomit. Just you're not going to exist in me anymore if I get it out of my space. And then from there, I go back to my breath. Breathing and breath work has been just a game changer for me in a time of need. So I love my therapist. We have that four, five, seven breath, or sorry, four, seven, five breath, where you inhale for four, you hold for seven. I'm messing it up. It's one of the other. It's something like that. But it's an inhale, a hold, and a longer exhale. There's great work. Like I did a TikTok about it, but it's you tap your shoulders. It's kind of like butterfly taps and you keep your breath through it. And you just ground yourself back in your body and take a moment to allow the head not to operate and just get back into the space you're in present. It's tough though. It's tough too, because I felt myself being, having more of a challenge with it lately with, you know, you turn on the news and you want to be informed about what's happening in the world. You get a constant set of stimulus from like text messages and social media feeds. And we're so plugged in that we're turned off to us. So really making sure it's like, it's like spiritual, emotional, mental hygiene to take, take time to do nothing like, and not even TV or just sit on your couch for five minutes and just scan the room, be present for a second. Or like now that the weather is getting beautiful, like sit in the sun, those things. It's the simple acknowledgements that bring us back and it's okay. Shoot. You need a day, take a mental health day. Your work doesn't like it. You're sick. It's fine. You have a sick day. Use it encouraging, you know, I'd love to see this in more workplaces and I'm happy that Peloton does this. I want to see it happen everywhere. I want it to be normalized, but taking care of your mental health is just as important as taking care of your body when you have a cold or a flu. And I will say negative mental health does affect the mental health of others. So just like you wouldn't want your coworker coughing up a lung at the desk or the shared office space next to you, you also don't want your coworker in a, in a really challenging, dark, negative place and bringing that there either if they could be taking care of themselves and there's access for them to be better. For sure. And, you know, recently on the show, I had a woman on, her name's Melissa Doman, who talks all about well-being shaming and how to navigate that in the office. So I really value and appreciate your point noting that if someone is in that bad headspace, then it can permeate into everything else that all the other individuals in your space are navigating on their own. And then it can just become like a bigger, a bigger problem. So prioritizing yourself, prioritizing your own mental well-being, it's so important. And I loved those actionable tips that you gave, uh, including journaling when it comes to addressing how you're feeling and how to get out of that negative headspace. I think that it's just so important to recognize that like little steps in the right direction are big steps in that if you are someone who maybe has never done breathwork before, or you've never journaled before, like start small and don't judge that start because starting is really, really intimidating and it's really, really challenging. So being proud of yourself for being willing to go there like that, that's huge. Completely. And look, when you start anything, you suck at it. Honestly, I'm so tempted to pull out. I don't think they would let me do it, but I have a video of my first ever recorded Peloton class day one of training. <laughs> when I tell you this is a dumpster fire train wreck, it was rough. It was really rough. It was a lot. I like couldn't find the cameras. I was babbling. I was like, wait, what is cadence versus resistance? Like we were, it was bad. It was real bad. But the coolest part is like, it's just like anything. It's, it's a movement pattern. It's practice. It's understanding that it's, it is little wins. So if you suck at it, be a sucker. Like I want you to suck because if you're not sucking, you're not doing anything like, no, you know, it is, it's that, you know, opening yourself to that beginner's mindset. And it's funny, the more we age, the more we feel like we have to be pros and experts and, you know, who am I to step into the space and give a talk or give a speech? I had that happen recently. I have this great opportunity upcoming and I'm like, oh God, why would they want to listen to me? I'm like, I'm not even 30 yet. Like, oh, I feel like, what can I tell these people? You know? And then you recognize, hold on, there's value everywhere. There's value from sitting down with your four-year-old niece who can talk about unicorns and butterflies and rainbows. And when you talk to her, you're like, oh my gosh, I just feel like my imagination's back. 
every, everybody, every person, every being has value to provide. There is not one person on this planet that doesn't have value. So add to your value by sucking at everything for a little bit and have fun with it. Like you want to go throw pottery and learn how to, you know, have a ghost moment. I can't guarantee Patrick Swayze will show up, but go do it. Go suck at it. Make a little like mound and be like, that was my first piece of pottery. It is hideous. And I am so damn proud of how much I sucked at that. I love that. I'm so damn proud of how much I sucked at that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) So terrible that it was so awesome. Well, you mentioned the buzzword movement again. I do know that you really got introduced to movement beyond, you know, your dear, your days of cheerleading at USC. You started (laughs) boxing when you were navigating a lot of the trials and tribulations that came with confronting a lot of those mental health demons. So talk us through what that looked like for you. I will say thank God for the mentor that I have had. He just acknowledged like, oh, you're a lot. I've heard that a lot in my life that I'm a lot. It used to bother me. It's my favorite compliment someone can give me now is that I'm a lot. Yes, I'm very full of a lot of experiences and emotions and a lot is better than a little. So I'm good with it. (laughs) But he recognized there was something going on deeper. And so uh, he happened to own a boxing gym in the west side of L.A., And he's like, come through. I'm like, okay, fine. And this is somebody that like, you know, I look up to this person. I want to impress them. There's like this like paternal type of energy where you're like, I want to make them proud. So I roll into this boxing gym. First things first, I am the only chick. I am proud. I'm a lot shorter than people think. I'm grateful that they think I'm taller. I'm probably like five, four on a good day. And so I walk in, there's these like six foot four beastly sweaty men. There's blood on the floor. There's sweat. And everyone's just going at it. There's two guys sparring in the middle of the ring. There's people working out on the heavy bags. There's people lifting these weights and hitting tires with sledgehammers. And I'm like, where the F am I? Okay. Okay. But they were playing heavy hip hop. So I was like, I'm into that. I can buy. So sure enough, uh, I put gloves on for the first time. And talking about sucking and the joy of sucking, the only gloves that they had, mind you, that were available were pink which pissed me off because I was like, I don't want to wear pink gloves and be the new chick in the gym. And everyone's already looking at me. And I was so in my head and I was embarrassed and embarrassed. And then bless the trainer that I had who trained me up on everything boxing at the beginning. uh, We finally, he's like, focus, focus. He's like, here, look at the mitt, look at the mitt. And then I remember, I will never forget, you know it when you do it, that first crack of the mitt, when that glove hits that mitt perfect. And it makes this like, actually, it kind of sounds like a lightning strike. Go figure. And it's this crack. And you and me, I was like, I'm addicted. Oh, I could create that power. That could come from my body. That could sound like that. And it sounds similar when that six foot four guy is doing the same thing. But I made that sound. Oh, okay. And then it became an addiction because it was the only place at that point because I didn't know breath work. I didn't acknowledge what was the separation between what was my thoughts and my person. I just wanted to unscrew my brain, my head from my body and put it over in like another room. And I would say that ironically, I said that to my mom a lot growing up, which if any parents out there have children that are like, my brain's just too busy or too much or too chaotic. I would say that's a bit of a sign because I still feel that way at times. That's when I know, okay, it's time to tap back in and, you know, take that breath and take that moment. But I got into boxing. I would train three times a week and it just became both an empowering moment because I could take the turmoil that was in my body. I could take the chaos and the crazy. And I mean, I don't really like the word crazy, but I like, I've kind of reframed it where it's this almost like a collage is how I look at it as like visually what crazy looks like to me. And it's beautiful because it's all these different pieces, but I could take it all and center that energy into one space. And that's when I was throwing a punch. And then I fell in love with the sport and all of the messaging behind it the metaphor, the metaphor of not draining your energy, anticipating someone punching you, just staying present and ready, not being in your head, allowing and trusting in your body, trusting in your training that when someone does hit you, you move through it. When you get knocked, right, you counter or you have defense or you know it's coming so you evade. There's so many life lessons and mental health metaphors that come with that sport. And the most beautiful thing is the community that you get with it. You meet people from all walks of life who've been through all kinds of hell, literally hellfire in a handbasket. And some of them are the funniest, strangest humans you're ever going to come across. It's like a circus troupe. 
right? It kind of feels like the greatest showman where it's like everyone's got these different experiences and you're like, okay, somehow we're all fam and we all work because we love this same thing. And truly boxing was the physical embodiment of the therapy that I needed for myself mentally. So it's a joy to get to bring that passion and that love to people at Peloton now and have them, even though they're not hitting anything yet, they're punching air, they're understanding that they can move their body in a way that they created that power. They created that energy and they didn't need anything else. We all have that energy. Sometimes we just need someone to help us understand how to harness it. You mentioned the word lightning. Talk to us about why the lightning and the lightning bolt are so significant for you in your life. For sure. So just before I had that suicidal moment and that moment in my senior year, that summer before I was traveling in Italy for college. And that was the first time I thought I was in love with somebody. And, you know, I was in Italy. He was back in the States. And we were going through a lot, but I had kind of a gnarly weekend, gnarly week weekend. He broke up with me over text message and I was in the Cinque Terre with my two girlfriends and we would travel every weekend. I lived in Rome at the time for school, but we would travel. So we were up there, beautiful area. But as those texts were coming through, all of a sudden this, I'm not joking, this storm came out of nowhere. And that area is kind of known for it in the Mediterranean, but it was beautiful blue day, blue water. And I felt like storm. I thought I controlled the weather because the more anxious I was getting, the more I was wanting to talk to him, but he wouldn't pick up the phone. And then all these swelling emotions and probably years of what had been building up of the anxiety of where's my life going? I'm about to go into senior year. My career didn't happen the way that I thought it would. You know, I've been hiding who I am from everybody and I'm not 100% happy, but I'm going to try and go to Italy and make and have fun and maybe this will help, you know, trying to put band-aids on a deep wound. It all came to a head. All was just, it was like everything piled, piled, piled up. And I remember there was this the cute man that worked at the hotel that we were staying in. He runs into the room and he's like, oh, I had to take the umbrella because he's like, ah, la vanetra. Like he was like freaking out that the umbrella was going to break the window because the winds were so bad. So he pulls the umbrella in. And as he does, I just escape out of the room. I'm like, I need to get out of here. And I don't know what I was like. I just need to be in it. I need, I, crazily enough, I wanted to be in that storm. So I went up. There was like a roof deck on the hotel. This hotel was like on a cliff in Monterosso. And I just stood out in the storm and then I look across and there was a lightning strike. Every hair on my body stood up and it was just this flash moment where I felt completely free of all of the stress, the anxiety, the overwhelm in my head, in my body. I was so present in myself. It felt like it just was this hopeful moment that I was like, oh, there's more. And then I pulled out my phone and I still have a photo. It's blurry and terrible, but there was one more lightning strike. And I'm so happy I have that photo and I go back to it whenever I need to because in lightning, in this storm, in chaos, in darkness, there's always the ability because of the, the high and the low, because of the hot air and the cold air, because of all the contrast and the duality and the pain and the purpose and the joy, something is created. And I didn't recognize it until later. This moment was definitely kind of the precursor and I think was kind of the omen or alarm to what was about to come down the pipeline in my personal life and in my mental health journey. But it was ironic. It, it Lightning, I was always drawn to after that point because it reminded me that was there's light in such chaos and in such a storm. And so whenever I see a storm or I see lightning and and I love wearing it on my body to remind me like, okay even if you're in a bit of a season or a bit of a moment of that of that darkness or that storm, there's always opportunity. There's always something excitable. And I mean, for electricity to come from rain and wind and water, for something else to create, it is like alchemy. And I think that's kind of the purpose that I remind myself of, especially in those tough times is like, okay, this is just a sign that there's clarity coming. There's alignment coming there's good that can come from such deep, deep feelings and deep sorrow and deep chaos. For sure. You, uh, at the top of our conversation mentioned, uh, recently going through a breakup. And I know that on your Instagram 
last month, you put up some sort of a reel or something that had some sentiment along the lines of my teenage self would be shocked that I'm so happy single, even through a lot of heartbreak. And as a fellow single, proud woman, yes, mama. <laughs> so we'll go get dinner. We'll go hang. Girl, we will go get dinner. It's, it's so that. interesting. And I'm sure this happens to you as well to get outreach and messages from women who maybe are not yet, and I'll use the word yet very purposefully, the same amount of secure and content with their single season and with spending time on their own. For someone who hears that and they're shaking their head and they're like, yep, this is me. This is me. I'm working on it, but I'm not quite yet there. What do you say to them to maybe encourage them to find that level of comfort standing on their own two feet? I will say this. It is no one and no thing's job to give you your happiness but yourself. And it was a very, I love the snap. It was a very interesting moment for me to understand that. I think as women and in the world and the society we've been raised in, we're in this shift moment where traditionally we look at generations past. I look at, you know, so much of it was about finding your partner and you'll be happy when. And you watch the Disney movies and it's, I found Prince Charming and then they ride off into the sunset. F that. Number one, hold on. You're riding on a horse next to me. I'm not on your horse. Okay. Like we're partners in this, in this game called life. But even before that gets to happen, you have to know your value. You have to know who you are. You have to know what makes you happy and understand that like you're growing on your own. A partner will be a wonderful thing to have, but it's not a necessity. It's not going to fill the gap. Like the whole BS. I hate that you complete me. No, you complete your damn self. We are here to complete ourselves. And when you are a complete, whole, imperfect, flawed, but human person, then that energy of the person that is meant to be with you will arrive. Because that's when those two whole people come together and then they create something greater than their individual parts. That's what I look for in whatever the next relationship will be is that, but even before then, it's enjoying where I'm at right now. You know, what do I want to do? What new hobby do I want? Let me go travel solo. Do it smartly, but shoot. Like, I love hopping on a plane by myself and bringing books and just like, all right, I'll figure it out. There's something so beautiful about really taking the time and, you know, it can be played out and cheesy, like fall in love with yourself first. But it's very accurate. How, how do you know what you want or what would complement the incredible being that is you? until you've spent time with yourself. You know, I think we're always looking for, oh, this seems like the right fit. Or like, you know, you can see like, oh, this person seems great. And then we find ourselves changing to fit what this person's energy is, right? I think what's key is that we hold our own energy. We hold our own space. They hold their own energy. They hold their own space. And they complement each other in a really beautiful way that can work for a partnership. But you don't change your energy because they're there. It's, it's not, you're not the moon and they're not the earth. Like you're not here to orbit around them. So I say, hold yourself, you're your own damn planet. Like get to know it, make it beautiful, explore all of the things you want to do, take, suck at things, start new hobbies, spend good quality time with the girlfriends or the friends that just fulfill you. Dig into your spirituality, dig into exploring other parts that you didn't think mattered. I think there's so much more to do on your own that frankly, it's helpful because when you're really in love with yourself and where you're at and who you are, flaws and all, you don't F around with people who don't deserve your energy. Amen. When that right person comes along, you can acknowledge them. Like if you don't know who you are, you're not going to know who your person is. You know, we're just going to keep kind of playing the game. So I'm going to pull up my horse and you're going to pull up your horse and we're going to go to a pottery studio and make some crappy, <laughs> sucky pottery. <laughs> I'm down. It's funny. I don't know where the pottery thing's coming from. I probably should do it. Let's find a spot. Oh, there's got to be a place between you and I, like in, in the city. We'll find it. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm in. I don't think I've ever actually, that's like one of the few activities I don't think I've done in Manhattan. There's going to be like a hurdler that walks by and like, we're just like in the window making pottery and they're going to be like, I get it now. Good for them. I get it now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we are starting to wind down here in doing that. Kendall, I want to know what excites you right now. I mean, off the top of my head, the fact it's, you know, a bit of a lighter topic, but the fact the weather is getting warmer 
my tropical plant self, I'm like, oh, she's opening. She's alive. I have like a playlist for tomorrow's class. I'm like, this is very summery. I'm excited. I'm not wearing like 12 layers of clothing. So the hopefulness of spring, I'm very excited for. I think this is going to be the hot girl summer that we all thought was going to be last summer. No, now we're good. Like, the, you know, there's certain things that have been handled. So that's exciting. Um, I am single now, so that definitely tracks. But, you know, even beyond what I'm most excited for, I haven't tied it to outcomes anymore. I've learned not to. It's not about the attaining of one goal. It's not about the I'll be happy when. I'm excited for who I've who I'm evolving into as a woman and for how that's changing as I get into, you know, almost 30 and looking at that time in my life. And I'm excited for the way that the world is unfolding before me. So I hate to say it. I'm, I used to be the girl with the five-year plan and the two-year plan and the 10-year plan. All that is out the window at this point. I'm excited to continue to be in existence and be of service to other people and have these conversations and continue to talk about mental health. And I'm excited to live my damn life. If that makes Does sense. that make you a little bit anxious at all to kind of throw all of that out the window? Yes. And hence, you could probably tell by the like word babble that happens when I say it. Yes. Because I really am working on getting rid of the constraints. And to me, having too much of a plan, it limits the possibility and opportunity for what else is to come. And I know I would love to tell you, okay, in two months, or I'm excited for this project or this, that. I'm excited for all of it. And I'm excited for the parts that are going to suck about it because I know either I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm throwing pottery for the first time, or <laughs> when we're doing it together, or it just means I'm further in that evolution towards becoming even more of myself. I'm typically big on goal setting, but for some reason this year, what felt like a lot more purposeful for me was just to write down things that I want in my life like period, not tied to, I want this by the end of 2022. I want this by the end of 2024. Like, yes, there are certain things that I hope to happen this year, but it was so much less rigid and so much more like an affirmation moment that I was like, yes. this, this is it. Like, this is where we're going. This is the territory that we're looking to traverse and we'll figure it out from there. Yes. It's the removal of the concept of control. And it's so funny. I had New Year's affirmations. I didn't have goals or resolutions. And I'm usually that way too. And maybe that's one of the beautiful outcomes from a pandemic and from this very odd time that we've lived in is that we know we don't know what's next. <laughs> like, I think we're coming to terms with the fact, oh God, what now? Like someone's going to tell me there's a planet that they discovered and now there's alien life. Dope. You know what? be my guest. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> at this point. I'm open to it. All right. But <laughs> it's just like, well, it's the yeah. idea of like, just stop being so like, don't worry so much about planning down to a T and more so just be open to the fact that again, to your point, we can't control everything and we just can do the best with what it is that we have right now. And that, that energy is what will bring those affirmations, those, all of that towards you. It's the little wins every day. Someone comes to your Instagram page. They see a proud Peloton instructor, uh, a strong woman with something like more than 650,000 followers. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Ooh. I see a girl that chose to live her life. And I will say, I think that's probably one of the things I will be most proud of because when you know what it's like to be in a place where you don't and to acknowledge, oh my gosh, I get to do this now. And I'm actively choosing her every day. It just, it's powerful. It's overwhelming. So all of that is wonderful. And I, I enjoy all of the, I'm honored by all of the connection and the outreach and the way I get to be a part of people's special moments in their lives and their growth. But I always have to remember like, I almost didn't have this. I'm just grateful that I get to. So, yep, living big. Living big. Kendall, right now you have the opportunity to offer the young woman who is wondering if this life is worth living anymore a piece of advice from where you stand now looking back on that hurdle moment. 
what do you tell her? <laughs> you know what? It might be cliche, but I tell her what my dad told me from day one. Before I even really knew I needed to hear it, I tell her, girl, it can knock you down, but it can never knock you out. Keep going. Just keep going. Keep going. Kendall Tool, so grateful for you. So grateful for your time and your conversation. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give us all the details. Yes. So they can follow me um, on Instagram. My handle is fitxkendall. My TikTok is the same one. We have lots of silly fun over there. So if you need a good laugh, there's lots of fun content there. And then as well, same thing on Twitter too. So hit me up. Let me know. Throw pottery with us, whatever we're gonna do. I wanna be in it. Let's live. Go suck We're gonna it make the pottery and then we're gonna throw the pottery at the wall like some Greek stuff. Oh, I'm into <laughs> it. Oh, I can't wait to make pottery with you. I'm over at Hurdle Podcast and at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.